Welcome to Shilling Speakers Podcast. We come to you monthly from Shilling Speakers Toastmasters Club. An online club with global membership. That's here, District 91, Southern UK. Dear listeners, welcome to Shilling Speakers Podcast. I hope you've missed us. We were on holiday in August and now in September we are back with a new team. With us today, we have here Angela Cook, Audrey Lowe, Paul Greenway, and me, Violeta Saladiene. And we have three parts to do it today. We will have an interview with a special guest, and we will have a soapbox. But first, Angela, please tell us, what is your big idea of this week? Thank you, Violeta. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I have just experienced a couple of very stressful weeks, so stress is on my mind. I found a TED Talk on the good and bad of stress. I didn't know what there was good. In fact, it was about changing our beliefs about stress, and it was amazing. The speaker had all kinds of data, scientific stuff saying that we all know stress produces hormones, cortisol, adrenaline, and if we get too much of that, or they stay in our system too long, they do really bad things, like even kill us. But there's good research out there now, especially in the last 10 years, apparently, that shows there are many benefits of stress and that a human actually cannot survive without a certain amount of stress. And it is important what we individually believe about that stress. With exercise, physical stress is more straightforward, but research shows that stress is stressed without consideration of its cause. In exercise, more weight, more reps, faster speed, it's all good. High intensive interval training is so popular today, but you know, some people are afraid of it. Do hear about people dying during exercise. One interesting study this speaker presented was centered around our beliefs about the good or the bad of stress. Two groups with similar age, weight, and physical condition took part in a one year lifestyle program. They followed diet, exercise, social, and sleep markers. The only difference between the groups was their personal belief that stress was good in one group or that stress was bad in the other group. They completed the year program and then the researchers followed the public records for the next five years and recorded deaths in the two groups. The group that believed that stress was bad for them had 40% more deaths in five years than the other group. Of course, there's more to it than that, but it sure got me thinking. Of course, we each have to lower the trauma and the drama in our daily lives. That's anxiety. But they say that even that is some, some of that is good for us. But for one, I'm certainly upping the physical stress in my life. I definitely believe it's good for me to do as much as I can Hmm. Well, I'm retired. Maybe I'll join the circus and train to be a trapeze artist flying through the air. I've always wanted to fly. <laughs> what do you think? 
Is that enough? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, would be great. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you, would you think that uh, will reduce your stress in life, that new activity? Well, it will be stress that I feel good about. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Great. That's a very good point. I have to think about mine, stress, because I sometimes feel too much stressed. I know that some stress is okay, uh, because then it feels uh, makes you feel energized. But too much stress definitely can kill you. Yeah, good point to think right. over. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Now, I would like to ask Audrey. Audrey, what is your big idea of the week? This week happened in my office. Have somebody come and talk about achieving well-being in a multi-generational workforce. Although this is talking about the workforce, we can apply that in my in personal life, and in fact, that helped me understand what's going on with uh, my mother-in-law. So the speaker actually break down different generation in our life um so which is become our grandparents and then our parents our generation uh generation under me and then generation where my daughter is so each of them affected by what's going on in their life like my uh our grandparents perhaps impacted by the world war so that be, uh, make them become a person who are uh, very resilient uh, they become a loyal person uh, uh, in the company because you know the company the employee employer take care of them so then they will uh, willing to put up working hard and put up their life uh, to for the company to make it better while the next generation they're willing to work hard uh, but uh, you know they are not they, they still want to have a, a freedom so with this one thing that i learned is that um the our parents generation happened to be my mother-in-law that she is more um I feel that harder for her to accept. And like Angela mentioned also that uh, she's stressful when she's not capable doing things on her own. She would like to be able to do everything on her own and refuse help as much as possible. But then sometimes that causes stress on our side because we try to help but then on the other side, she refused the help. So that make it very difficult um, to find the middle ground. But now I understand where uh, she's coming from, from all the past experience in her life that causing this uh, a little bit of stress. So I think um, it's good to have understanding of what's the what's behind or what make a generation um, and then what the experience 
and uh, the the younger generation that experienced the lockdown, how is that going to impact them? So um, there is a if you live in a place where you have a different generation in one house, or even if you are not living in the house, but you often meeting them during the family gathering. So that is one thing that perhaps uh, you can remember at the back of your mind that um, different generation, they, they experience differently. And how do you think uh, they experience differently? For example, if you think about your grandmother and you, can you compare? Yes, for example, like the grandparents, they are experienced maybe war. So then they are more they will try to do things on their own. So they will try to fix things on their own and they use all the stuff until they are really worn off. They try to fix it and continue to use the stuff until really you cannot fix it anymore. They are not saying anything. They are not complaining. You know, so that is that generation and um, she call it a silent generation. They are more loyal. <laughs> And then, like for me, if if something not working, then um, you know maybe the difference is like, what do I do? You know, I maybe call the help desk. You know, somebody to support. So that that's the the difference between you know somebody maybe they silently they're just trying to do something versus like oh you know like normally there is a. Uh, people who can you can ask you can contact so that's you know in that context <laughs> yeah great point all right thank you thank you audrey and myself this week i had a blast diving into the september edition of toastmasters magazine i stumbled upon this captivating article about storytelling skills and among the treasure troves of tips there were a few that really struck a chord with me. The first is by Jim Key, distinguished Toastmaster and a world champion of public speaking of 2003. He advises to use the dissociative or step-away storytelling technique. This is where the speaker tells part of the story, then pauses the story to make some outside-of-the-story observations or to draw focus to a certain part of their message. This might be something very brief or it can be something that takes a larger portion of time. Following this, the speaker resumes the story from the point at which he had previously paused and continues. The second is by Mark Hunter, Distinguished Toastmaster and a world champion of public speaking in 2009. He says that when we tell a personal story, we share our own lives to make what we have to say relevant to our audience and hopefully more interesting. But one public speaking sin prevents a story from reaching an audience and it is ego. A story delivered by the ego has all the attractiveness of flat champagne, says Mark Hunter. A speaker must avoid exaggerating 
his or her achievements and talents. Avoid sharing his stories as absolute truths. Mark advises never ever accompany your story with a selfie. It's a sure sign of your ego disconnecting you from your audience. Instead, share your story to inspire, not motivate. Get the audience to think about the message in the story. In other words, tell your story to suggest rather than direct. And third, I like the links to speeches with storytelling where you can hear and see how the world champions implement different storytelling techniques. So if you would like to improve your storytelling skills, read Toastmasters magazine, September edition. That's my big idea of the week. Paul, what is your big idea of the week? Share with us and with our listeners. Thank you, Violetta. Now, ladies and gentlemen, listeners of all persuasions, welcome to a brand new segment of our monthly podcast that we're going to call The Monthly Rant. Now, before you adjust your headphones, I wonder if you've accidentally clicked on a different show. Let me explain. Monthly Rant is not your typical segment. It is not here to provide you with the soothing, well-researched and balanced perspectives that you're used to. Uh -uh. This is a space for the audacious, the provocative, and the downright cheeky. That's why I'm introducing it. It's a space where we throw caution to the wind, dive headfirst into topics that are designed to stir the pot, ruffle your feathers, ignite those brain cells. The purpose of doing this is to cause thought, to challenge that awful status quo to make you question, ponder, chuckle sometimes. But let's be clear, this is not about being right. Some of what you're going to hear is going to be completely off the mark. It's not about being polite or tiptoeing around anybody's sensibilities. It's about sparking a reaction, a conversation, a debate. Now, if you find yourself nodding in agreement or hopefully shaking your head in disbelief, good. That's what we're after. We want you to engage, to think, to discuss. And remember, just because it's said with conviction here does not mean it's gospel. It's just a perspective. It's a rant, a momentary lapse of reason, sometimes. With that said, please brace yourselves, keep an open mind, and let's dive into our very first monthly rant. Gather round. Today, I'm going to delve into the clandestine machinations of the state and its oh so subtle art of pocket filling. And all of this is under the guise of road safety. Yes, I'm talking about the rules of the road, those seemingly benign dictations that we all follow, lest we wish to be branded as societal miscreants. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm all for safety. I like my limbs attached. I like my head on straight. But have you ever wondered why there are so many of these rules? 
speed limits, traffic lights, stop signs, parking restrictions. It's as if the state has a personal vendetta against freedom and a love affair with the color red. It's on all of these things. Let's start with speed limits. We can. They say it's for our safety to prevent accidents. But have you noticed how they always seem to be just a tad too slow? And especially when you're running late. It's as if they know. They know you're in a hurry. And they're just waiting, lurking in the shadows, ready to pounce with their speed cameras. And more importantly, the associated fine. It's not about safety. I don't think so anyway. It's about the cha-ching, the moolah. The sweet, sweet sound of coins clinking into the state's coffers every single time. Then there are the traffic lights. Mm, those traffic lights, those tricolored sentinels of the road dictating our every move. Red means stop, green means go, and yellow, my daughter knows this, yellow means go faster before it turns red. But have you? ever been stuck at a red light with not a car to be seen and you're wondering why am I waiting? I think it's because the state is playing a game, a game of patience, seeing how long it can keep you there before you snap and run a red light. Lo and behold, there's another fine. Another little contribution to the state's piggy bank. Now, where does it go after traffic lights? Parking restrictions. Have to go there. It's as if the state has a vendetta against cars being stationary. No parking here. No parking there. No parking anywhere. And if by some miracle you find a spot to park... You better have a pocket full of coins because that parking machine is hungry. And when you get up to it, how many times? It doesn't take a credit card. The swipe isn't working. I think that's done intentionally. It's not about keeping the roads clear. It's about keeping the cash flowing. And let's not forget the pièce de résistance, the cherry on top. Yeah, yeah. What is it? The road tax. We have to pay for the privilege of following all of those rules, of being part of the revenue-generating scheme. It's like paying for a ticket to show you never wanted to see in the first place. Like a show you just don't want to go to, but you have to pay for it. All right, next time you're stuck at a red light or you're sticking the coins into that machine, I think, remember, it's not about safety. It's about the state's insatiable appetite for your hard-earned money. Let's keep pretending it's all for our own good. That's what they want us to do. After all, we wouldn't want to disrupt the state's revenue. I mean, road safety, would we? Thank you. Do drive safely and try not to make it too profitable for the state.
Stay with us, listeners, for part two, where we have our special guest. Welcome back, and welcome to part two of Schilling Speakers podcast. At this point, Violetta will introduce our very secret and very special guest. Violetta? Thank you. Thank you, Angela. Dear listeners, today our special guest is Jerry. He is a distinguished Toastmaster, and he lives just outside the city of Glasgow. He has been a Toastmaster since 2006 and a distinguished Toastmaster since 2016. He is currently a member of four clubs, Glasgow Toastmasters, Southside Toastspeakers, Toastmasters for Golf and Advanced Communicators Toastmasters of South Carolina. After studying at the University of St. Andrews, Jerry worked as a school teacher in Zambia and Scotland before embarking on a career in the food and drink industry. More recently, he has become more involved with a particular single malt scotch whiskey. He has been married to Marion for a long time. Amazingly, she hasn't turned to alcohol yet. So please welcome our special guest, Jerry Dunn. Well, good evening, Violetta. Thanks for having me. I feel you've given me the big build-up. I hope I can live up to that. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry, for coming to our Shilling Speakers podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And to start today's interview, I would like to ask you, how about this single malt scotch whiskey? What was special that uh, you started uh, your job in food and drink industry? Well, I worked in the food and drink industry, not not particularly in alcohol. We, I worked for a company that made baby food and some medical products in, in resealable pouches. But I retired in 2022. And have you ever heard about the wife whose husband retired and she said, I realized I had more husband and less money, neither of which was particularly attractive. So it was a little bit like that. And uh, I think she thought I had too much time in my hands. So um, I wanted to do something that maybe involved a bit of public speaking. So I I phoned up a reasonably local distillery, Ochentoshin. Just remember that name. Not that easy to pronounce, but um, and asked if they were they were looking for tour guides. So now I, on a part time basis, I take visitors from all over the world around our distillery and and talk about the history and the process of single malt Scotch whiskey. That's a great job. Well, it's Speaking. nice, you know, because I, I realise now for the first time I am actually a professional speaker. Because I'm mostly speaking, you know, not tremendously highly paid, but still, I get I get yes. to speak to audiences uh, every day that I work. Fantastic! And uh, speaking about public speaking, you are a member of four clubs, 
tell me, Jerry, uh, which one do you like the best of four Toastmasters clubs? Or is it difficult to say? Very difficult to say. And, and, and you know, and I'm sure your listenership is so huge. I wouldn't want any of the clubs to take offense that they weren't my favorite. So it's like having children. You don't have any favorites. Yes, but you are obviously, right. Obviously, I joined Glasgow Toastmasters all those years ago. So uh, they, they have a special place. But the two, uh, Toastmasters for Golf and Advanced Communicators are both online clubs. So they meet um, once a month, so not quite demanding. The other two these days are exclusively in person. So each of the club gives a, a, a different experience. In many ways, they're all my favorite. Would you recommend to our listeners, to Toastmasters, who just started or uh, are quite young in our organization, to be a member of a couple of clubs? What benefits do you get from them? Well, let, let's take the situation of, of in-person and online. So in-person is going to be a local club, and you're going to get that experience, which is probably for all of us so terrifying of standing in front of a group of strangers and maybe speaking about something quite personal and you know hopefully getting the confidence to do that a second time and each time you do it it's not it's a little bit less terrifying so i think it's very difficult to replace that experience of speaking direct to a group of people you know maybe a small group maybe 10 maybe a bit more than that 30 or 40 and that is, a, I think, a very useful thing to be able to do because so many people find that absolutely terrifying. We all do, actually, until we do it. But the online clubs give you something else. They give you the chance, perhaps, to meet people from all over the world. And, of course, it's a little bit of a different skill set to speak to a camera as opposed to a group of people standing in front of you. When you're speaking to the camera, in many ways, you're speaking to just one person, personalized by that little white dot at the top of your screen. So it's a different, a different skill and a different experience. And of course, and that chat. So, you know, a lot of bad things came out of COVID. But one of the good things was that we we were able to to meet up with people that we'd never otherwise have come across. Lovely. Can I can I ask you a question? So, shilling speakers. Is that exclusively online or, or is there an in-person? It's only online. Yes, it is only online. Yes. Because, of course, the, the third way, which is maybe the hardest of the lot, is, is the hybrid where you've got some people and also a camera. That is, that is personally, I find that the hardest, the hardest thing to do because you're not quite sure where to, where to focus. But um, there probably is a place for those clubs too. Right. And... Um... Uh, moving on, I would like to ask you about uh, what was the main reason and that you joined Toastmasters? Well, the real reason is that things were going so badly at work at that time that uh, I thought I, I might have to be looking for a, another job. And I thought, you know, like most people stumbled across Toastmasters by accident on the internet. But, but thought they could give me the skills I would need to find another job. But the way things worked out after I joined Toastmasters, I'm not saying this is a direct consequence, 
But after I joined Toastmasters, things improved for me at work. And in the end, I didn't need to go and look for another job. But because Toastmasters was interesting and enjoyable and I thought I was developing new skills, I I stayed a member. And, you know, many years later, I'm still a member. And I think it it did contribute to, to my own my own work and my own career. Yes, I agree with you. It's a great organization and great way to develop public speaking, speaking skills. And it helps in many, many ways for persons in life and in, at work. I see from your bio that you were a school teacher in Zambia and Scotland. Yes. What do you like most about it? Or maybe you have two different stories. Yes, two very different stories. Because the, the the time we had in Zambia, my wife and I were just married and it was a, a different world almost to be in uh, Central Africa, in the tropics, the climate was different, the organization was different. At that time, there was a war in Zimbabwe next door, so there were many, many shortages. There were some difficulties and you know some some dangerous moments as well but it was very very exciting our son was born there and if you live in Scotland you know it's gray most of the time so actually coming back from a time where it was tremendously bright and colorful and and sunny that that was actually quite quite difficult but of course our our, our families were back here and the other thing is you know, I, I wasn't teaching all that long in Scotland, but again, that, that was a very different experience. But in the end, I, I had to do something different because they weren't really looking for teachers. So I never got a permanent job as a teacher. But I, I would say that discipline was much more difficult in Scotland than it, it was in Zambia. Great, great story. Thank you very much. And finally, I would like to ask you, uh, what would you recommend for our listeners for Toastmasters? Well, I know this is a topical question, but and and maybe for experienced Toastmasters, this is something certainly for me because I I, I followed the leadership track of area director and division director not always for a tremendously long period, but during that time, of course, I wasn't allowed to, to compete in contests, or maybe I didn't want to, maybe I was afraid to, but when when you've done your projects in Toastmasters and perhaps done the leadership, the contest is another avenue, and, and for me, it opened up something different. There's an area of improvement that you can access by entering a contest whatever it is so at this time of year it's probably table topics and humorous speech I know that depends what district you're in but whatever contest you enter there's just something about having to perform for two minutes or seven minutes uh, when the lights are on which I think takes people's abilities to a new level so I would as long as they're not going to come up against me I would encourage anyone to enter the contest just to test themselves. For many years, I didn't do it. And I, I think I was probably probably missing out. So I really started entering contests seriously in 2019. And I think I, I've got a lot out of it. 
both in terms of my own skills and some of the people I've met through the competition. Friendly rivalry, you might say. So if you're thinking Thanks. about entering a contest this season, just go ahead and do that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry, for coming into our Shilling Speakers podcast for being a guest. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. With this, we finish up our second part of Shilling Speakers podcast. Stay with us in the third part where Paul Greenway will be on the soapbox. Dear listeners, welcome to our part three. In our soapbox today is Paul Greenway. So, Paul, soapbox is yours. Violetta, thank you very much. Toastmasters in our area is inching toward a silent demise. Just as surely as we members are. Slowly, but inexorably, we are on a slow march towards death. Now, this is my area, and it's my analysis, so it's my opinion. There's little to be jovial about this tonight. In this area, we are four clubs. You, the first, you have eight members. Eight members and plus one last year. You, the second, 12 members, about to lose two at the end of this month. The third, you have 18. Three out, three in plus minus zero last year. The fourth, you've 24, we'll be down to 23 at the end of this month. So from our four clubs, 62 members last year, soon to be 59. Now, why in a world of potential and opportunity is Toastmasters in our area facing such a slow and silent demise? The answer I feel lies in the divergence between our mission and the harsh reality that we face. And when I say mission, I mean our Toastmasters mission. As you know, it's clear. We empower individuals to become more effective communicators and leaders. But nestled within that mission is an inspiring vision, and it's there if you go look for it. Our vision is to be the first choice provider of dynamic, high-value, experiential communication and leadership skills development. That's on our website. That's our vision. So as we peer into our current landscape, we must ask ourselves, are we truly living up to this mission? And more importantly, to this vision, are we adapting as swiftly as the world around us? The answer, it seems to me, is a resounding mm -mm, no. We need to change track, change direction, change orientation. And the change can't be an evolution, a gradual improvement, modification of our existing systems, thinking over some time. Uh -uh. This needs to be disruption, proper disruption, radical. We've got to challenge the status quo and lead to the displacement of our existing comfort space. And I intentionally say disruption of our comfort space. Continuing to do the same thing and expecting different outcomes, the form of insanity. 
Now, it's often attributed to Albert Einstein. There's no evidence, concrete or otherwise, that he actually said or wrote those words. But the important note to emphasize is the need for change. When faced with repetitive or ineffective actions, you've got to do something different. What are those repetitive actions? What do I mean? Every year, we hear the same stories. Ask your friends to join. Oh, yeah. So we get more of the same type of personality. Run open nights. Yeah, where the target is everyone. Everyone who walks in the door, which means we get no one. And in our area, there seems to be an unquestioned focus on people with a fear of public speaking. Come back to those in a few moments. Now, what is the genesis for my thoughts? Why am I saying this to you? I'm a student of strategy, and in my studies, I've come across a number of different models, one of which seven phases of the strategy process. I'm not going to go into it in detail. Happy to discuss it later if somebody would like to. But the first step is to identify your strategic problem. Have we ever thought about it? Our four clubs were characterized by homogenous memberships. Let's be honest, most of the people in these four clubs are the same people. Different names, same people. We are facing challenges for diversity. We've got to understand the importance of diversity. And why is diversity essential? Because like a strategic problem in a changing world, diversity brings adaptability, growth, and innovation. Diversity is not just a buzzword. It's the lifeblood of growth and adaptability. In our mission to empower effective communicators and leaders, Diversity is the driver. That's what we've got to link into. Just think about it. Commercial world, organizations long recognize that diverse teams leads to innovation, problem solving, adaptability. Lo and behold, the things we think, I think, we need. They've thrived by embracing different perspectives, backgrounds, experiences, and nonprofits too have leveraged the very same things. I'm part of something here why I was late this evening. Same idea, looking to get new people in. Now, if we translate this to Toastmasters, what do we do? I suggest we create and understand the personas of potential members. Now, I've looked at about 100 different personas over the summer. Anyone who wants to have a look or copy of it later, please you know, do reach out. No problem with sharing it. But I've zeroed into four of them. Young professionals, learners, our shy introverts and non-native English speakers. Lo and behold, they're in another club that I participate in, all of shilling speakers. These type of people represent potential members whose unique experiences and needs can fuel our four clubs' growth and adaptability. Young professionals bring a hunger for career advancement and networking. For me, that cohort stretches from accountants, tech engineers, teachers, police, whole range. Learners in all versions, higher ed, furthering lifelong ed, apprenticeships, they all face different examination concept to what we dinosaurs faced. And I am one of those dinosaurs. I haven't done an exam in 40 years. Today, they all have ongoing assessment. They all include presentations. And they all don't know we exist. Imagine skills we can impart could make the difference between a pass or fail. I could sell that idea. Shy introverts, they see confidence in supportive space, a safe space, our space. I don't for a moment suggest that we reject them. 
and lastly, non-native English speakers who aim to sharpen their comm skills and find some cultural inclusivity. These are our opportunities for a wealth of diversity, our treasure trove for growth and adaptability. And I think by embracing these type of member personas, we're not just diversifying, we're actually enriching our clubs, empowering all of the current members and ensuring a thriving future for Toastmasters. So club presidents, it's time to take action, embrace diversity, reevaluate your club's approach and explore the potential member personas I'm suggesting. Let's transform our clubs into vibrant spaces where individuals from all walks of life can thrive. It could be the saving of Toastmasters. In conclusion, look, I hope I've prompted you to explore the imperative for change, the need for some disruption, and the potential of diversity. The future of Toastmasters is in your hands as presidents. And by diversifying our clubs, we're not just securing our future, we're actually enriching it. Let's embark on this journey of transformation together. Ensure a brighter and more inclusive future for all of us. To quote that inspiring vision nestled within our mission to be the first choice provider of dynamic, high value, experiential communication and leadership skills development. That's it for today from Shilling Speakers podcast. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe and share with your friends.